Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Hello to all our legends online. So good to have you there. I can't hear you groan if I preach bad, but I can't hear you cheer either if I preach good. Um, We're doing this series on the Beatitudes, and it freaks me out because I preach really well when something quickens to me from Scripture and I can feel God on it and I prepare it. But Roz does these themes that the church loves, and so guess what they give me today? I'll just tell you what I've got to cover out of the Beatitudes. I get adultery, adversaries, divorce, and bad oaths. It's like, go preach. I'm not like you, Donna, with a, you know how a teaching gift can go, great, I'll just look into the word and I'll come up with this stuff. I'm like, I can't give any life out of that. Anyway. Anyway, we'll have a crack and we'll see how we go. Um, What else I have to tell you? Happy birthday to Robbie White. Where are you, Robbie? Happy birthday. Dave Durheim's 60th this week, but he'll be here tonight. Now, I just felt to say this. When my sister was dying of cancer, she had this major operation. And at the time, you know, I'm looking after my dad. I'm running the church. My brother's in New Zealand. My niece's in Canada. There's no other family left. Mum's died. And I was just really struggling to keep up. And she really needed someone to be with her when she woke up from that operation. And you stayed for hours in that hospital and waited for the moment. And you were there. And it was one of the best examples of the body of Christ ministry that kind of got me out of a hole that that I've ever seen. So I just wanted to say thank you. Well done. God bless you. Happy birthday. Mm. Uh, What else have we got? Oh, I've been doing just some visitation of some of the older people in the church. Frank and Rosa say to say hi. He's not well. He's very sick in hospital. Um, Dave Stafford and Tony said to say hi as well to everyone. They, they, they miss everyone. All right. I think that's about it. Oh, I had to thank the volunteers from State Conference. These two sitting here, Ross and Louise, worked so hard. You were just amazing. And we had so many good comments about our... Our leaders, guys like Jeff, and, and I know Jess was leading, and, and Johnny and uh, Shaz, Deb, and Jude helped Roz run the women's things. Ethan and Talia were supposed to be, to, sorry, Talisha was supposed to be on their honeymoon, and they were up there helping before they went on their honeymoon. There were so many volunteers from here. You helped carry the whole thing. In fact, Mark Check said to me, I think his church, Hope You See, and us had the most volunteers out of any church in the state there. And he said, but your church far outweighed ours with the amount of people that were just there serving and helping. So well done. Jeez, you're a good church. Well done. Fantastic. All right. All right. Yes. Okay. Chris Hughes, I I like it when you share. You're you're such a good bloke. Okay. The Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. Um, I'll read my section in a minute. Um, Anne Evans said a really good thing about the Beatitudes. She said... They are about becoming, not so much doing, because sometimes we get hung up on doing, but um, I'll teach you a a little bit more in a minute, but they're about becoming. I I really like that. Fraser Hannum said, uh, we've got the commandments that give us 10 don'ts, which gives us protection, and we've got the Beatitudes that give us eight do's that bring blessings. And I thought, that to me, this is the best thing I've got to tell you today. I love that because in those two don'ts and do's, We've got protection and we've got favour. And probably in my prayer every day, that's always what I, the conclusion of what I end up praying. God, can you protect us and can you bless us? And I thought, wow, so, so the commandments and the Beatitudes working together give us the favour 
and protection we need. Um, but from what Anne said, I think the attitude to the Beatitudes and can we learn from them and even if there's a bit that's a bit tough on us or we don't agree, can we let it move us a bit closer to Christ, just make a little bit of ground. Um, so I've got two, sto- <laughs> two stories um, that are kind of the, the contrast of Christianity. There's the be content Christianity with what you've got. But there's those moments where the Holy Spirit nudges and we've got to move and move quickly. And I just want to give you an example of each. I I like this one on contentment. Um, uh, The story of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Fisherman goes, because I caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. What would I do with them? He goes, you could earn more money came the impatient reply, and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish and make more money. Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman said, then what would I do? He said, you could sit down and rest and enjoy life. He goes, isn't that what I'm doing now? (laughs) Save all the work, eh? (laughs) So I like that. There's, There's a good truth in that. But I just wanted to show you this from State Conference. There's a picture will come up. We're sitting in a session at State Conference. Um, Put the picture up. Yes, this couple are working in Austria, the least country in Europe with the gospel. He's Italian, she's English. And they're sharing, you know, they're getting interviewed. And gee, they're a great couple, but they've planted 15 churches and started a Bible college for Austria where they train pastors. And they're just starting to plant, see all those countries around? Italy's the first. They're just starting to move into Italy and the the vision is eventually to do all the others. Anyway, I'm sitting there and Brad Hagen texts me. So this is what he says. Um, So, uh, okay, just let me... (laughs) Sorry, I'm not so good. I like watching people do this. They're really good at it. I'm a bit slow. He goes, this is in the middle of this interview. And I'm running the guest land, so I kind of know what's happening with, with all the guest speakers. He goes, hi, mate. The Holy Spirit just hit me during this talk about Europe and Italy. A few years ago, when you came back from Europe, you prophesied over us about Italy, then we would help plant churches in Italy. I feel the Holy Spirit right on me about this right now. What do I do? I go, yes, mate. Chat to that couple on stage. Grab them quick. They fly out after this session. She is flying to Kirk's church in Birmingham today to be the guest speaker at his missions conference. He goes, oh, so good. Something definitely happened inside me. What do I do? I go, yes, I think it's God. This is all for this session. A new frontier. You could become a legend to that nation long term just by encouraging Italian pastors. That guy is your door. Oh, oh, hopefully God makes it possible for me to connect with him. I go, we claim it in Jesus' name. Find out where he is sitting. Make your way just before the end of the meeting. Be first to grab him like the woman who grabbed Jesus' robe. Like you have to push through the crowd and get him because he leaves 10 minutes after this finishes and you've got to grab him. He goes, amen, I'm praying. And then I see them sitting at the end of our row and I tell him that and he goes, yeah, got it. Anyway, he does get to connect. It just so happens that he's going to Europe in November and he's going to have time with the guy and work out what churches he can help sponsor in planting in Italy. There's a moments, isn't there? Like I get the contentment. <laughs> But it's not all contentment. Contentment's good, but there's just some moments where you have to get up and you've got to move and there's no time to muck around. Boom. Anyway, I just thought that was a, that was a good example of um, 
how sometimes I think I'm retired and then God smacks me over the head and goes, go to work. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Um, all right, so let's do adversaries first. We'll do some little sections. This is out of Matthew 5, and we'll be starting at verse 23 and just read a few. Therefore, oh, but yeah, before we talk about adversaries, the verse before says this. This shocks me so much. So you're sitting peacefully at home in your contentment. You start your prayer time and you read this verse. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. I do that in traffic, like, <laughs> let alone <laughs> some senior pastors around the state when they do dumb things. I'm like, so that just kind of, you know, it's like God grabbed me like that and saying, listen, you better listen to this. You've got no idea, Jacko. Um, okay, so then it says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So just a little bit on adversaries. Um, there's people, there's resistance, there's difficulties, there's power struggles in life. We've got blind spots. I was actually thinking an interesting thing about our, our blind spots the other day. Um, if you've got kids, it's a real blessing when they become teenagers. <laughs> because... They can see our blind spots. And teenagers are ruthless, mate. If they, if they see your blind spot, they'll just whoomp. And they don't always do it nicely. So it's tough on us having teenagers. But I want to tell you something. It's really good for us. But that led me to realise that in church life, the next generation after us, one of the giftings is they see through the blind spots of our generation that we don't. We're stuck in certain ways that we're brought up in and we think they work. But we do need to be listening to the next generation to find out how they're seeing what we're saying and work on it. And, and it's a really important thing for the, for the kingdom. Um, uh, I was, you know, resolving, resolving conflict, humble yourself, apologise for your part, general principle. This works for me 80% of the time. A gentle answer turns away wrath. So if you can stay gentle and talk about it, very often you'll get through it pretty quick. But you kind of need both parties to be doing it. But I've found if I go gentle first, often they'll calm down and come through. However, I've been shocked in ministry to see this, that sometimes I've done that and people go on the attack. They see that as a form of weakness. You bring your lamb out, but they bring their lion out and they go for your throat. So... When they bring their line out against your lamb, you sometimes, I think there's two options. You either go on the front foot and take them on, and I find very often bullies burst into tears. If I've tried being soft and they try bullying and I go hard back, they often just burst into tears. It's funny how bullies will melt sometimes, but that doesn't always work either. At other times... You just have to let them suffer until they learn their lesson, and often it takes years. So it takes quite a lot of forgiveness, patience on your part internally, and you just got to hand them over to God. You know in Scripture how sometimes I think Jesus said, hand them over to the devil to be dealt with. You just, 
if you think you're right and they're being unfair, you've just got to give them to God and, and hold out and see what happens. And I think that worked really well too, but I, I just wanted to... Um, um, hmm. Someone, oh, uh, Ali Cawthorn, who's on the National Executive, said at State Conference, authority doesn't need to get angry because it just is. Authority that's delegated from God, it doesn't have to fight people in power struggles. You just press on in the direction God gives you. They can be trying to have a power struggle, but you, it just is. God's given it to you, so you, you stay calm and you just, and you just move in that direction and, and let him deal. Um, uh, yep, okay. Oh, I just wanted to say this. So even for ourselves, like we're human, so we have weaknesses. Sometimes when people are unfair with us, we get really angry and try and blow their heads off. Um, but one sin doesn't excuse another sin. If someone treats you wrongly, that doesn't excuse you by, to sin in return. So in a way, you know, unfair treatment is a massive test for all of us. Can we walk humbly before, before God in that? Um, I, I love this. I found this. This is brilliant. Difficulties in life are part of the plan. Listen to this. This is brilliant. Your seed, you know, the seed you've got from God, is stronger than the dirt and manure that it's buried under. Watch this. In fact, it can't come to life without the dirt and the manure. And as a gardener, I get that. Why is that stupid seed growing? Well, I haven't put dirt and manure over it. I just left it on the surface and the birds plucked it away. Isn't that the parable of the sower? It has to have dirt and manure and a bit of darkness just for a season. Whoa. So some of the things in us won't come out unless, unless they're pulled through that. So I'll just say this to any of you that are going through difficulties that just seem a bit too stretched out and lasting too long. Sometimes you've got to change your attitude instead of, and I'm a sucker for this, but eventually if I can get this shift, not why is this happening to me, you know, the enemy's winning, but no, this is part of the plan. This is for my good. At the right time, it'll give way and, and let the kind of dirt and manure do its work and then I start coming through. Um, all right. Let's go to adultery and divorce. Ugh. Why are you? I'm groaning and you're groaning. I'll just read it, okay? And then we'll move on. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So all the blokes are going reasonably well. But I tell you the truth, anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jeez. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So, yeah, well, we're not doing that, are we? Paul says, women, wear hats in church. Are we doing that? So that's kind of a cultural thing. That and a few other scriptures he says about women more relating to the culture of the day than it is to today's thing. But this isn't a cultural thing. There's a principle there, but we don't want you plucking your eyes out and cutting your wrists off. But something's being emphasised, so it's like, okay, then we need to work on, on our attitude towards this. Um, and I'll, let me just go on to divorce because it says a weird thing there too. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Yeah. That, that just needs some work, and we need to blend that with some other things that the Bible says about divorce to get a, to get a balanced view. So it would need four, you know, a series of four messages just on it to get the right balance. So I'm, I'm not going there today, but I'll just, I'll just tell you some things. Adultery, the danger of self-gratification. I, I just felt this, men, our eyes are more dangerous than our bellies because they say that a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Well, I want to tell you, the way to a man's heart is through his eyes. So therefore, we have to be very careful with our eyes. Even Eve, that probably didn't have the same vulnerability as a man with her eyes still looking at the fruit in the garden and Satan drawing her attention to that and go, look what you're missing out on was enough to cause, you know, that lead up to the, the first sin. So the eyes are a deal and, and what we look at. Um, looking at forbidden fruit for too long is so dangerous. Um, I'll just leave that one there. The thing about, uh, I just wanted to bring this point out. Beware of the danger of marrying a woman divorced for sexual immorality. So, same, you know, same with guys, same deal. But there are some warnings in there that we need to hear. And if you're a woman, you know, that's committed adultery and it's wrecked your marriage, and I know often because, it, you know, your, your emotional needs aren't met, you can only put up that with so many years or decades, and then it's like, I can't take it anymore. I, I get that that happens. But nevertheless, if that's happened and your marriage is broken up, you can go to God, repent, ask Nick cleanse you, get some counselling, and start living a great life, and God will restore you. And, and he'll give you a, a, a good relationship. However, there's a warning there for men and women, really. Just beware of, you know, if you want a long-term, lifelong commitment that works really well, beware of marrying someone who cheats. And I think with all the world's theology on this, and it's okay to have lots of partners and be married 34 times in your life, and it doesn't matter, just throw them out when it doesn't suit you, still no one likes to be cheated on. Even in so-called open marriages where they're free, to, you know, you hear the movie stars talk about in the paper where they're free to have as many partners as they want. They reckon the only thing that makes that work is they're honest about what's going on. And still, even in that, no one wants to be cheated on. So the whole cheating thing, is this a person who's going to cheat on me, is a bit of a deal we, we need to consider. And that's why we take our time in relationships because I've seen even pastors of churches who've lost their wives and within two weeks are in the next relationship and they get married within two months and it goes great for two years but they haven't done the work and the time and the foundation hasn't been laid and then they go through hell for 20 years and then they eventually give up because they can't take it anymore. And it's like this long, long thing they didn't need to go through that in their vulnerability and their weakness and their grief, they just had to find other ways to kind of get themselves through that than take the shortcut into the next relationship. I've seen that a, a number of times. And so hence there's, there's warnings in here. Obviously in abusive relationships, that's a separate topic, but the number one priority in that is, is protection. So just know that, you know, you have to get out, get out. 
Um, but the scriptures do endorse the permanence of marriage in a throwaway culture. I have heard it a lot said to me, if I knew then what I know now, I think I could have made it work the first time. That's not in every case, by the way. That's just some cases that happens. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about hang in there as much as you can with marriage. Hebrews 13 talks about honouring marriage. But Matthew 19 says a thing that I think really helps in our day and age. Um, you know how they said, yeah, but Moses let the people divorce. And Jesus goes, yeah, that was because of, of their weakness that God allowed that. And I think that's interesting. Matthew 19 talks about divorce permitted because of the difficulties of this life and the weakness of humanity. And I think we're in a real era for that. Not to use that as an excuse. Like, that's why I want you to get the balance of the teaching. So God, that shows you that God understands. But at the same time, he's saying <laughs> it is actually designed for permanence. So, so do the work. Lay the foundation and, and all of you would testify, you know, that, that have been through the marriage breakups, how tough it is. It's just so tough. Um, let me just do a little bit on, on good marriages. Paul Bartlett said at State Conference, I really thought this was a good, good quote. Um, uh, he was talking about bravery and courage, and he said, the quality in your soul of facing difficulty and pain with good morality instead of fear or sin, is a really big challenge. Having good morality throughout difficulty, because often the weakness in us wants to use the pain, doesn't it, as an excuse for the sin or the, or the easy answer. And so that, that's a really challenging quote. Um, just some marks there, tips, so they might not be great, but forgive me. Um, nurturing each other is important, because I think, I don't know about girls, but... Emotional, you know, intelligence or our emotional level. I reckon if a guy's going well, he's a bit like a teenager. Women definitely handle emotional intelligence and where they're at much more maturely than guys do, generally speaking. But I reckon I'm at about teenager level. Yeah. And I'm the senior pastor. You got problems. <laughs> what are you coming to this church for? <laughs> no, I'm not the senior pastor anymore. You're free. <laughs> Oh, phew. <laughs> um, blind spots are real, hence we need the odd teenager to talk to us. Um, authentic transparency. Because, look, the, the thing I see, because I don't let Roz draw me into difficulties around the state because I don't want to know about them, but I do mentor, you know, different senior pastors at different times. If they're good communicators, they seem to have this trait. They know they have great strengths and they know they have significant weaknesses. And they can talk about both and deal with them. But there's too many just think they're great blokes and they can't hear any challenge or they can't acknowledge any weakness and they never say sorry. And I'm thinking, disaster awaits. Like... You're just not that good. Reality's going to smack you in the head and you're going to be really shocked. So you better start learning how to, how to humble yourself. Um, connection. Oh, these were the seven key elements of our marriage. Connection, commitment, giving emotionally, that is, respect, trust, intimacy, and play. And play is really important. And don't think we go, oh, Zeri's got it all together. Tick the boxes. Nah, nah. 
There are also the challenges of our marriage. On any given week, I'm probably struggling in two of those areas, all right? So, but nevertheless, they're kind of like, like a foundation. But one of the, I looked through some old sermons. One of the things I really liked was this, because I just think it's really down-to-earth practical, the maths of marriage. For your marriage to work well and for you to have well-being, you need five-to-one ratio of positive inputs versus negative inputs. And that really helps me because I tend to start in the negative and as a Christian have to edit the negative out and get into the positive. And when I do that, life works quite well. But if I don't do the edit and I just do the negative, it starts going downhill really quickly. Like if we have a conflict to resolve and I just come from the negative angle, all I get back is, well, what about you? Roz, you didn't do this. Well, you didn't do that. And, and it just goes that way and downhill really fast. But if I come from a positive angle, and I, I find this, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not. I've realised, I try to get to the place in God, so I go and talk to God about it, and I get to this place where I try and help Roz win the argument. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. <laughs> Just better throw a qualifier in. But it's unbelievable working through an issue if your partner, you feel like your partner's really for you. That can just make a stunning difference. And, and even in difficulties where they're not trying to help you win, but they're just stating their case, if you're both being authentic, it can work. But isn't it frustrating? And, and some of you that have been through a marriage breakup will know you, you were willing. And you wanted to be honest and you prepared to, but, but they weren't. They, they weren't going to even talk about it. Whoa. It's like when one partner wants to go for counselling and the other doesn't. You think, it's probably not going to work. That's so sad to me. Um, hug for longer. Hug for at least 20 seconds because it takes 20 seconds for endorphins to be released. Roz is a really quick hugger. Sometimes <laughs> I've just got, hang on. <laughs> Kiss for six seconds. Endorphins are released. <laughs> Same thing, mind you. I'm not much good at that either. Um, but I'm not talking about church. Don't start grabbing women at church and kiss them for six seconds and argue. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Non-sexual affection, men, is really important because that's what makes wives and children feel lovable. It just does something non-sexual affection it's a beautiful thing and date night weekly or fortnightly no kids no friends just you and your partner pretty pretty scary eh (laughs) we run out of stuff to talk about now too but it's okay silence is okay anyway all right we better do oaths time to finish um last one Uh, oaths again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfil to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or by God's throne or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Let me add some balance. Jesus did later on teach that it's better if you say no and come back and say yes than it is to say yes and have to come back and say no. And I think that's an important thing. And I got caught out at state conference because um, I'd planned to stay two days. 
And then the Holy Spirit said, you need to stay an extra 24 hours. And in the 24 hours, I had an amazing time. I had breakfast with the state president. Ros was emceeing. Ros and Beck were on a panel. I got to see my son-in-law emcee. We had a great time with a lot of the young pastors around the state one night, and we just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I just had a glorious, glorious time in God But because I'm a real no-yes person. So the vote comes up, you know, the ratification. Ros got voted back on, by the way, and we'd agreed she'd do one more term, so so that was good. But um, I'd said to Ros, I'm not going to vote because there's there's not even anyone standing against you. All we're doing is ratifying the ones that are there, so I'm, I'm not voting. She tells Chris Smith, the state secretary, he's up in front of the conference and goes, Mark says he's not going to vote. What kind of a pastor is that? He's just into me from the front. And I'm in the front row. I edited out, watch it, buddy. <laughs> and I said, oh, thanks for not using my name. Anyway, but I end up with a lot of friends out of it because we live in Australia. And when you cop a hard time from the front unfairly, everyone really likes you, eh? It's the most popular I've ever been in my life. He did a big thing. But anyway, I'd said to Paul Bartlett, look, I'm only staying two days because I'm retired now and I don't have to stay and I can enjoy it if I just do two days. If I stay for four, I'll end up hating everyone by the end because it just gets too much. He goes, that's okay. He sees me there 24 hours later. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm unpacking my car because the Holy Spirit told me to stay another 24 hours. He goes, that's interesting. I said, look, you need to understand this about me. I'm a no-yes person. He said, yeah, Jesus taught that. He said, well... Let me just test you on it. This is how he's very cluey. He goes, did you end up voting? And even though inside when, when the state secretary gave me a hard time, I said, no way, I'm voting now, Jacko. It came up on my phone, and I'm not very good technically, but it was really easy to do. So all I had to do was press a button and then press four other buttons, and it was done. So I did it. Luckily, because I was able to say to Paul Bartlett, yes, I did vote. And he goes, well, that's a good thing. That's a good quality. You're a no-yes person, not a yes-no person. It's like I just snuck through. <laughs> that's just to kind of get those principles across to you. We'll leave that bit out. We'll leave that bit out. I'll finish with this. Um, Ali Cawthorn, who was a legend teacher, she talked too fast. Her husband told her that, but she, she had some good quotes. She talked about removing the idols of certainty and familiarity. But the idol of certainty, as soon as she said it, you ever kind of walking along as a Christian and someone will say something and you go, whoa. I thought, oh, I've totally got that idol. I'm after certainty all the time. I'm a melancholic personality. I have lists. I expect things to go a certain way. And I was like, whoa. I have to lighten up on the certainty. It just really affected me. It was a, it was a great quote. Um, she said, the news of the day is not all that is going on in the world. Know that you don't know everything, or nor do you see everything as it is to God. That's obviously why we listen to the Holy Spirit. She reckons, you know when Jesus in the storm and they got afraid and he said, you have little faith. She's looked up different versions of it because she's got a teaching gift. She reckons it was like, she said this, the disciples had faith in Jesus, but they didn't have Jesus' faith at that stage. She reckons the words he said to them, you have little faith, more accurate is, why have you not got the faith that I have? So we see those fears they go through early on in their journey with Jesus, but, you know, after he's gone back, they get martyred and they stand strongly in their faith. So it seems they have moved from some kind of 
more childlike faith to a, to a deep faith that kind of stands, stands by them. Um, and I'll finish with this because I love this. Dan and I both love this the most out of anything. She's talking about when Mary, because um, in one gospel it doesn't say who it is, but in another gospel it says uh, it was Mary, you know, Lazarus's sister. Um, you know, the expensive perfume, well, she's feet dries them with her hair. Uh, she said this. There was two things. She said the first one was, that day, because remember people were whinging in the room and everything about it. Money could have been given to the poor. Um, in that room, there were two that smelt like Jesus, Jesus and Mary. But then she said it this way, but here's a better way. The only other person that walked out of that room with the fragrance of Jesus on them was Mary. And I thought, I like that. I'd like to be the person in the room. I'm probably not going to pull it off much, but... I would really like to be in the person in the room when it's difficult and others are whinging to walk to be the one that walks out with the fragrance of Jesus on me. So therefore I need to consider what blesses him in that situation, what washes his feet, what, what cares uh, about what he thinks. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.